Who thinks it's exciting being a Christian? Oh, yeah, some hands went up. That's good. It's the most exciting thing in your life that can happen to become a Christian. And we're going to be celebrating that um, a little bit later in the service. We're going to be baptizing Travis, um, which um, Travis became a Christian about two and a half, three months ago. Um, and he wanted to be baptized at the AGM, but we didn't have water. Isn't that right, Travis? Yeah, so we're going to baptize him today, and it's most exciting. And I want to say at the very beginning, um, Travis, that Howard is very disappointed he can't be here today with you um, to be part of this service. He's down um, at a wedding um, down south, um, and um, he, his thoughts and prayers are with you today. <clears throat> um, I'd been a Christian for about uh, 12 months. Um, I was newly wed to Sue. Um, and we decided because my godmother hadn't come to our wedding that we would go and visit her. Now, my godmother uh, was a very devout lady, and so were her husband, Dick. Um, and we were living in the north of England at the time, and I was a school teacher, very busy. But one of my horrible habits was smoking. I was a very heavy smoker. I was smoking up to 20 cigarettes a day, 20 fags a day, as a Christian. I'd only been Christian for about 12 months or so. Anyway, I tried to give up so many times. I tried New Year's resolutions, didn't work. I tried um, pacts with friends, with my dad, didn't work. I'd even tried shock treatment. And you might go, ooh, no, shock treatment, that means watching films on TV of burnt out lungs. And I thought that would put me off, but it didn't. In fact, I was very good at giving up because I used to give up lots of times. <laughs> anyway, we were going to visit my very devout godmother and her devout husband um, with my newly married wife and my new faith, and I really wanted to put on a good impression. I wanted to show them my good and holy life. So I gave up for the weekend. <laughs> I hid my smokes in the glove pocket of the car um, and didn't smoke for the whole weekend. On the way home, as they farewelled us and waved to us, we drove around the corner and I quickly opened up the thing and pulled out the fags and lit up. And I suddenly thought, what a hypocrite. I tried to demonstrate living a holy life, being a clean Christian, and there I was puffing away as soon as I was around the corner. And I decided in the car on the way home in a long conversation with Sue that I wanted to give up. I'd done enough Bible reading to understand that my body was the temple of the Holy Spirit. And I thought, well, I'm sure the Holy Spirit in there doesn't like the stuff that's going in there. So that night, we knelt down by our bed and I prayed a repentance prayer. It was really genuine. I said, sorry, Lord, for being such a hypocrite. Please forgive me. Please forgive me for polluting my body. This is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I can't give up in my own strength. Please help me. Amen. The next morning I woke up, and I haven't had a cigarette for 42 years. The addiction was broken like that. And it demonstrated to me the power of God. This new life that I was living as a Christian was real. It wasn't just going to church and singing nice hymns. It was, even though that's nice, 
It was a real relationship. And I want to talk very briefly today about that because it has everything to do with the passage that's been read about. We're doing this series on Colossians. And the bit that we read today is about the new kingdom life that is promised. It's about everything changing. It's about your life being transformed. It's about freedom in Christ. It's not about being a slave to religious practices. It's about faith in Christ. It's about faith in a person and walking with Jesus. Paul had been writing to Colossians because what had happened was they'd become Christians and some teachers had come in and started to teach them to add certain things to their faith. Like, don't do this, don't do that. Don't do this, do that. It was kind of a legalistic type of faith. It was Jewish. They were adding um, some things onto their faith that they did not need. And Paul was reminding them that Jesus Christ is supreme over everything. And there's nothing he doesn't know and there's nothing he cannot do. I heard a couple of testimonies this morning. Put, put your hands up if you received a healing last week in the service. You see, two, three hands up already. But a, a, another hand up at the back. People received healing. We had a healing service last week and people were healed. Praise God. God can do anything. And so what Paul was saying, there were three things that these teachers were trying to add to the faith. And I want to touch on these because these are quite important because they have implications for us today. The first one is what we call the world. Um, Jesus, uh, Paul says, he talks about in verse 20, the basic principles of the world. The world means the man-made religious systems of the world, which are actually controlled by Satan. And the reason why they're controlled by Satan, this is not hate speech, this is truth. The Bible says this, Satan wants to blind the minds of unbelievers, unbelievers in Christ, from seeing the glory of Christ. He wants to blind their minds. So people, men, will invent all sorts of religious systems to make themselves pure. I had a conversation recently with someone who um, it does not come to this church. Um, it was a, a, a common theme that we were talking about. And um, he definitely had some Christian beliefs. There was no doubt about that. And I said to him, where do you stand with Christ? He said, oh, I believe in Jesus, but I don't call myself a Christian. I call myself a messianic Taoist. And I thought, what's that? So I did a bit of research. And I discovered, of course, Jesus is the Messiah. So there's the Jewish roots. But Taoism is connected to the philosopher Lu Tzu, who lived in the 6th century BC, and his philosophy was by you could achieve perfection through your own self-cultivated processes. And as a result of that, when you die, you would be reincarnated into someone else's body. And if you'd lived a really good life, you'd go into a good body, and if you lived a really bad life, you'd become an ant or something like that. I don't know. 
reincarnation. And I thought to myself, if a person believes in Jesus, how on earth do they need reincarnation? Well, if a person believes in Jesus, how on earth can they try and make themselves holy by their own efforts? So Paul was saying to the Colossians, he was saying, the world's religions and philosophies only enslave people. They trap people. They make them slaves again. Don't go down that track. Stick with Christ. The second thing is the law. In verse um, 20, 22, Paul talks about being subject to regulations and the doctrines of men. It seems that these teachers coming into Colossae um, were adding a number of Jewish regulations, which I meant before. Things like, don't do that on the Lord's Day, or um, only eat those foods. You can't eat those other foods. And things like, don't associate with the riffraff. Don't associate with the unclean. But my Bible says Jesus mixed with sinners, and I'm one of them myself. In verse 21, Paul says, do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. He said, these are the things that these teachers are telling you. Now, since then, I have to say that the church has not been brilliant in teaching the faith. The church isn't perfect. We try hard. I heard a story about the medieval church. Listen to this. The medieval church, in an attempt to restrain sexual lust steadily developed numerous prescriptions that led to restrictions on marital sex on no less than five days of the week. Thursday through Monday, you could not have marital sex with your spouse. This was because of the saints on one of the days, Mary on another day, and because of the passion of Christ, Good Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. No wonder the faithful look forward to Tuesdays and Wednesdays. That's all I can say. (laughs) But honestly, what a silly rule. That is putting, that is enslaving people. And in recent times, I have to say this, in the modern um, church era, one of the great, um, I think, one of the great burdens that people put on others in the church is the whole thing of giving money. It become become a burden. And some people, I've heard it said that if you don't tithe 10%, then God won't bless you. I've heard that so many times. You know, in some churches, they have these massive sermons just before the plate comes around, and you feel so guilty, you've got to put something in. And that's not right. We give because we love the Lord, because of what he's done in our lives. When I was in Nepal, um, I was in a church, a little church, and I saw this up on the wall. I wish I had my pointer. It's all in Nepalese. So those of you who can speak Nepalese, you can translate it for us. Um, And I wondered what it was. And actually, it's a whole list of names of all the people in the church, and next to their names, how much money they'd given for the building project. No guilt, you know, no pride. And I thought to myself, wow, imagine if we had that here at Hope. We're just going to put up on the wall everything that people gave last week. But, you know, that's what the church can do sometimes. Put burdens on people. And Paul is saying this, 
Do, don't listen to those teachers. All you need is Christ. Don't listen to the law. You know, Jesus did say that he'd come to fulfill the law, and what he meant by that was that by being filled with the Spirit and being filled with Christ, we would actually want to do these things. We'd want to give. We'd want to associate with sinners. We'd want to do these things. That's what he's saying. And finally, the third thing was, um, Paul said, he was talking about the flesh. In verse 23, he talked about the indulgence of the flesh. Now, the flesh is a common phrase in Paul's preaching that refers to the fallen nature of humanity that we inherited from Adam. And that is opposed to the Spirit of God. It comes from the Greek word sarx, which means the flesh. And it means everything to do with our functioning body, our physical body, our mental abilities, our soul and everything. It's the flesh, the flesh life. You know that um, the founder of Presbyterianism, John Knox, was admired by many contemporary theologians of his day. He personified a real zeal for God. Um, he had a real commitment to the scriptures. And also, he lived a very holy life. But this is what he said. He acknowledged, quote, the grudging and murmuring complaints of the flesh, which has no worldly defense except death. That's what he said. And the personal example of me just mentioning smoking is an example of that. It, the flesh, I desired, I was addicted, and I couldn't in my own strength give up. I needed a saviour. And Paul was referring um, in this particular letter, in fact, to the fleshly sin of pride, because he was saying this, those things about the law and religion and things like that, if you obey them, you're actually putting on a, an appearance of wisdom, of imposed religion and false humility on yourselves because you can say, look, I didn't eat those foods. Look, I didn't do this. I did that. You can put on a false exterior of religiosity. And Paul said, no. Don't go down that track. You see, the flesh enslaves us. And we need to be set free from those fleshly desires. Only Christ can set us free. And so what Paul does is very clever. He talks about their baptism. What happened when they first became Christians? He takes them back to the meaning of baptism. And he reminds them of their own baptism. And he tells them what baptism signifies. And it said, he says, when you go into the water, when you stand in the water, you are acknowledging that Jesus Christ died for your sins. We could have the new slide up there. Thank you. And then when you go under the water, you're acknowledging that Jesus took your sins with him into the grave. You died with Christ. You're dead to the law. You're dead to the flesh. You're dead to the world. You're dead to these things. And when you come up out of the water, you are alive to a new life in Christ. That's what baptism symbolizes. And that's what we're going to be 
um, doing today with our friend Travis. Dead to the world. Jesus took my sins on the cross. I'm now dead to the world. My sins are buried under the ground with Jesus. And I've come up as a new person. That's what we're celebrating today. A new man. So, Paul says, to finish up, he says, so what then should you do? And he says there's two things. The first thing is, he says, just seek the things that are above. Seek those things. I remember once when I started off at ministry um, back in Wanganui, I was taking the youth group, I was leading a home group, I was doing all sorts of things, and I was walking across the car park one day like this. thinking about all the things I had to do. And the vicar, John Anderson, bless his soul, he's the guy who brought me into minute. he opened his window and he said, very, he said, hey, Lorn. And I looked up and I, he said, look up. Life's not so bad. Praise the Lord. So I did. <laughs> My body language had said, oh, God. And he said, no, it's not like that. Look up. Uh, Dick Lucas, in his commentary on this passage, said, the distinctive mark of our new faith is that it's not a religion. It's a faith. In its essence and fullness, it's a relationship with the risen Christ. Christ is alive. And so we can go about, as Charlotte does, going into Pack and Save, singing, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And everybody in Pack and Save turns around and says, Who is that lady? Sorry, Charlotte, to put you on the spot. It's probably a new song now that you're singing. But, you know, it, it's that. It's, it's, it's entering his gates with thanksgiving in our heart. It's not that we haven't got problems and difficulties and struggles. Sue will tell you too. I get nervous about things and so on and so forth. But in the end, the end is that, Lord, it's all about you. I'm trusting in you. Um, and, um, you know, that's what it's all about. The second thing is, Paul says this. He says, set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. And the question here is, what do we read? What do we look at? What do we watch that fills our mind? You know, if you, if, you, if you look at stuff that fills your mind with earthly stuff, that's what you'll become. But if you fill your mind with the stuff of Christ, that's what you'll become. Paul says this, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure... Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if there's anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. And I want to challenge us all today to consider what we spend our time watching and reading and thinking about. Does rugby assist? Rugby. <laughs> rugby. Look, there's no rules about what you can and you can't watch. It's just that what you want to. You know, do we want to become more Christ-like? And the second thing that he says, he says, 
um, in terms of the setting your mind on things above is that you, we must remember that we live in the world and people are watching. People are watching. You might not think that, but if you've got friends who are not Christians and they know you're Christian, they're interested in what they see in your life. I've had so many people to say to me in the past, you know, I don't want to become a Christian because... Um, you know, I see people going to church on Sunday and then on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, well, what's going on in their lives? I've got one particular person at the moment who says that, who we're wooing to become a Christian. We're encouraging him to take a step of faith. Um, he's got some blockages that we need to help him with. But um, so we need to be good mechanics. We need to be good builders. We need to be good policemen. You know, we need to be um, good Whatever you do, if you're retired and you go to um, a Scrabble, you need to be a good retired Scrabble player. You know, just, just be Jesus where you are. That, that's it. That's the essence of the Christian life. Just be the, be the light of the world. And so um, I learnt um, recently about this lady as I finish up now. Her name is Joanna Flanders Thomas, um, and she, as a young student in South Africa, she agitated against the apartheid, the unjust apartheid regime. She agitated. She was one of the protesters. She got out there and so on. She's a Christian. And when uh, apartheid finished and democracy came to South Africa, she turned herself to a more local problem. And she realized that Nelson Mandela had been in Polesmoor Prison, which is the worst prison in South Africa. It was at the time. And she decided she would go in there as a volunteer chaplain. That's what she decided to do. And she went in there with a simple gospel message of forgiveness and reconciliation, and she taught the men simple trust games. And do you know that she soon earned their trust? And this is an amazing statistic. The year before she went in, there were 279 acts of violence in that prison. Inmates towards inmates, inmates towards guards, and so on and so forth. The year after she'd been in for a year only, there were only two incidents of violence. What an impact that new person in Christ had made in an environment which was so upsetting and difficult and traumatic and dark. And so today, my friends, my message is we've died with Christ. We've been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above, not the things that are below. Christ and Christ alone is the one that we need. Nothing else. Amen. I'm going to get um, Vicky to come up now, and uh, Vicky's going to sing us, I, I think, is the whole group going to sing with you? A little solo, and it's for us just to sit and listen to. It's called Everything Changes. Everything Changes. And at the end of that, we're going to baptise um, our friend Travis. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>